Hello, everyone, and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. Today, I am joined together uh, with Carl Tigrib over in Canada, and my co-host is going to who's going to be helping me talk to Carl is Bob Worley from the Camp of the Unknown God. This is going to be a very interesting um, episode, to be honest with you guys. We're going to be talking about the World Economic Forum and really what's going on in this whole situation. That's why we brought Carl on to here. So Bob, Carl, welcome to the program. Good to see you guys again. Good to see you, Nick. It's been a little while, so this is this is a nice treat. It's all my pleasure, my friend. Thank you again for coming on board. So Carl, I wanted to ask you really fast about this because we were talking about the World Economic Forum as I was bringing up. I know in Canada you are, uh, and correct me here if I'm wrong, you are the person who, from Canada, who goes off and sees these uh, UN meetings or World Economic Forum. For anyone who doesn't understand this, could you give a uh, quick definition of the World Economic Forum um, at all, like to overview? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I know. I know. For many people, the World Economic Forum, uh, as an organization, as a name, is fairly new. Only. A lot of people have only heard about it in the last couple of years. Uh, however, uh, the organization itself has been around since the early 1970s. Uh, in fact, it, it began back in 1971, and it was called the European Management Forum. And what the World Economic Forum is, is it's, a, it's an ecosystem. That's the best way of looking at it. It's not simply one organization, though it has a board, it has a uh, um, uh, staff members, it has membership. It is an organization, but it's more, it's an ecosystem. And it brings into itself a variety of other organizations, corporations. Uh, you literally have hundreds and hundreds, thousands of CEOs of, of the world's leading uh, companies, financial companies, um, uh, major banks, uh, the Bank of America in my country, the, the uh, Royal Bank of Canada, uh, Bank of Montreal, uh, the European Central Bank is a member, uh, Google, Microsoft, um, Siemens, uh, BlackRock, the world's largest financial, private financial institution. Uh, it is really a melting pot of the world's top corporations working hand and glove with international political figures and members of the of the international community. So there's a lot of United Nations representation, a lot of representation from the OECD, from other, other entities, uh, uh, the World Health Organization, uh, the International Labor Organization, as they are collaborating on, on agendas and programs uh, to, to build back better and to advance the concept of the Great Reset, um, and move towards the United Nations uh, 2030 goals, sustainable development goals. Um, think of it as a management club. Uh, that is ultimately what is being described, what is being anticipated is some form of, of management, global management. And, and that can include things from, from uh, how we uh, behave regarding climate change, uh, what you purchase, your, your economic behavior, um, all the way through to, to the digitization of culture, uh, including uh, blockchain and digital currencies. So it's, again, it's an ecosystem. It's not one entity. It is one entity, but it's broader than one entity. It is a, a vast network. You could call it a public-private partnership at the planetary level, not just the national or local level, but the planetary level. And that's important for people to recognize. It sounds like a type of almost government that you're describing, like a like its own kingdom, so to speak. Well, they have their own they have their own agendas. It certainly is a, a collectivist um, uh, has a collectivist mindset that comes through when you uh, when you observe their uh, their speeches and spend some time uh, just diving into into some of their articles and their reports. Uh, they definitely see this as a world agenda. This is an international planetary agenda. It's a concept of being a good global citizen. Um, and where it really, where the rubber really hits, uh, you know, meets the road is in the development of national policies 
and uh, and 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 how private corporations will adhere to the to these international uh, agendas uh, through through the development of policies and trade associations and products. Um, the big one, and, and you know, Nick, it's it's interesting. We, we know that we've moved beyond the realm of just an academic discussion, uh, just theory, when the push is now for accounting measures to ensure that your cor cor uh, corporations and businesses will affirm World Economic Forum agendas and talking points. And so ESG, ESG is a form of accounting. It's literally an auditing accounting system that the World Economic Forum and their network has put together. A lot of companies have dived in. The international financial system is looking at it and diving in. ESG stands for environmental. Um, I'm trying to think what the S is right now. This is terrible. I had it in the top of my head. Uh, social and governance. Wow. And, so, and so your company, let's say your company wants to do business um, with uh, other other international players, uh, I'll give you a good example. At, the, at not this year's World Economic Forum annual World Economic Forum, the one that was was virtual, but last year's, the CEO of Coca Cola talked about how ESG. If you want to be a a participant within Coca Cola's um, business model, and and you're part of their down chain, you're part of their um, you're part of the infrastructure that makes Coca-Cola operate. The pressure will be on you as a small corporation, as a small company, to make sure that you are ESG compliant. And if you're not ESG compliant, uh, then you may lose out on those contracts. You may lose out on market share. You may lose out on, on economic uh, opportunities, maybe even licensing, maybe access to markets. And so it's a whole series of metrics, and your company has to demonstrate that it meets the environmental metrics. Uh, that includes things like climate change mitigation, carbon uh, neutrality, net zero, social issues. Are you inclusive? Are you bringing in uh, LGBTQ to be representative on your boards? Those kinds of things. And then governance. How, how is your company structured? How is, how is the governance of your company moving forward with this broader global agenda? Because the, the bottom line is you're fighting for climate change and, and for a new form of, of, well, it's really a new planetary civilization. That's what it boils down to. I was going to ask, but you kind of already got it there. I was going to ask how much influence... I guess I should ask is how much influence does this have on our world? Well, it, it, interesting question. <clears throat> in, in my country, Canada, Justin Trudeau, my prime minister, uh, is a World Economic Forum. Um, he has been a World Economic Forum participant. He has a lot of connections inside the World Economic Forum. Uh, he's a graduate from some of his programming. More importantly, Christia Freeland, our deputy prime minister, which would be akin to your vice president, isn't just simply a member of the World Economic Forum. She is on the board of directors of the World Economic Forum. Uh, Mark Carney, who used to be the governor of the Bank of Canada, then the governor of the Bank of England. Uh, he sat on the board for the Bank for International Settlements. Uh, he was the UK's uh, climate change um, kind of the head of their climate change program as they, as they looked to have the, uh, the UN climate summit last, last fall. Uh, he's on the board. Your country, if you want to take a look, you can go on to the uh, World Economic Forum website and just scroll through the various corporations that are full participants or partners with the World Economic Forum. And Nick, pretty much every product that you use will have some connection back in to that list that you'll be reading. Um, Biden, Biden has been a World Economic Forum participant. He has, he has expressed uh, appreciation for the World Economic Forum. Uh, John Kerry, who is your climate czar, is a, uh, is, is a well-known personality in the World Economic Forum and he speaks at the events regularly. Um, your, your, your uh, Federal Reserve governors have, uh, have had in, uh, connections with the World Economic Forum. Uh, the list is extensive. What makes this work 
is that it is a public-private partnership. It takes the agenda of the United Nations and it marries it with corporations and it further enhances it with national governments to promote and push an international agenda primarily built on the, the, the work of the United Nations itself, such as Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, uh, the climate change issue. And so it has had a tremendous amount of influence, tremendous, based solely, you, you don't even have to go deep into it, even just looking at the, the partnerships and the personalities, and it hits you just how pervasive uh, their reach is. I was going to say, I, honestly, man, you, you threw a, how to say this, because usually... Usually I know a little bit more about what's going on and able to comprehend a lot of it. I mean, if I'm already having this kind of experience right now, where I'm going like, how far are we going down the rabbit hole in the matrix right now? I can only imagine someone who's just coming on here. Um, a few of my questions also on top of that um, are, is there someone at the top, so to speak? Is there someone who controls, who is the ringleader of the whole, uh, the whole thing? Sure. Um, Klaus Schwab's is the best known personality because he's the one who, who got the uh, organization up and running. He still oversees it. He is absolutely the public spokesperson for the World Economic Forum. It really is Klaus Schwab's baby. Um, the, the leadership, however, is, is more than just Klaus Schwab. Uh, it, it includes uh, some, some pretty substantial names uh, within, within the realm of finance, such as Larry Fink, who's the uh, chief executive officer for BlackRock, uh, which, I mean, if you know anything about BlackRock. Uh, I know some about BlackRock because of George Soros. Yeah, massive, massive power. Yeah. Incre in incredible co uh, company. Um, you, you've got... CEOs and, and representatives from some really significant organizations. Um, one of the other members of the World Economic Forum's Board of Directors happens to be the Director General of the World Trade Organization. Um, yeah, uh, the president of, of MIT is on the Board of Directors. Um, i trying to think who else that might kind of ring a bell, but it, it just demonstrates the the the, the level of engagement. Um, I believe Al Gore is on the managing board or maybe he was on, on maybe the executive committee, but I know Al Gore has had uh, direct involvement with World Economic Forum. I'd yeah, have I'm to- I'm not surprised because Al Gore is very outspoken about climate change and whatnot. Right, right. So I'm not sure if he's on, on it or not anymore, but I know he's had a lot of, of, of connections with it uh, and has spoke at it. Um, and then you have a number of people from the European Union, and uh, uh, that includes the president of the European Commission, who is very much in favor of the World Economic Forum. Oh, in terms of national leaders, um, the president of China is <laughs> its almost like a rock star. You know, uh, at the 2020, was it the 2020, no, pardon me, the 2021 virtual forum of the World, Eco, uh, uh, the virtual conference of the World Economic Forum, uh, the chairman, uh, or pardon me, the, the, the uh, president of, of China uh, gave a, a special address. And then this January, during the, the other virtual um, World Economic Forum, um, the president of China actually set the tone for the entire event by, by giving one of the first keynote addresses and Klaus Schwab's was absolutely tickled by what he had, what he had heard. Uh, the idea that we are, we can't be, we can't be individual boats in the ocean. We all have to be part of this one big global ship. Uh, we have to ride the waves of, of world chaos and crisis and come out on the other side, uh, working together internationally. So, I mean, that's the level of engagement. The Prime Minister of India, uh, Prime Minister Modi, has been a, a longtime speaker and supporter of the World Economic Forum. Um, a, lot of, a lot of individuals. Uh, uh, the President of Japan uh, at the last virtual conference uh, had a, a, a little presentation where he talked about how we're, we need to move towards collectivism. So, this isn't just, these aren't just no-name people, okay? This isn't some obscure group. They've been around for a long time. They've been around since seven, 71. 
and and yeah, they've they've <clears> kind <throat> of been they've been the oil that has allowed the corporate world, uh, national governments, and the international community to kind of lubricate and come together, uh, gel, network, and uh, create opportunities for uh, uh, to to enhance their agenda. On a slightly different note, Nick, and I'm going to be quiet here in a, in a minute, let you guys ask some questions. Back in 2019, when I was at Burning Man, um, myself and a few members of our team went to Camp Mystic. And we went to a workshop on celebrating the United Nations 2030 agenda. It has arrived. We're here. It's now 2030. And let's celebrate tonight. What does this look like? The moderator turned out to be uh, one of the more influential members of the World Economic Forum's uh, uh, youth program. And we had uh, leading figures from the world of cryptocurrency, including people who had connections to the WEF. Uh, we had individuals engaged at the high level of, of, of global health agendas. All of them were there coming forward to talk about what 2030 would mean to them. And, and now that we've all come together as one, we can now celebrate, we've now achieved this milestone, the international community, the United Nations, the world is all coming together and we will now see peace and prosperity on this earth. And the whole thing was being, like I said, moderated or, or chaired uh, by a, a, a prominent member of the World Economic Forum right there at Burning Man. Wow, that was, that's a lot. That, that's the kind of stuff that goes on, Nick. Yeah, you just handed me a, like a gigantic ham sandwich with everything loaded in it and said, here, have five of them. And so I'm kind of like, <laughs> so I'm kind of going right like, wow, that was, I do feel like Neo just seeing the real world for the first time. Um one thing I was looking at, and then Bob and I were kind of discussing, and I, and I was looking into a little bit more, and I got the sun on my back setting over here, um, is about climate change and about the effects in China. And I know that they've been using software like for face recognition stuff that they got from Apple that China stole. And basically, they're giving the people there um, like kudos or brownie points for like how they're doing personally on like climate change, I, I may be butchering this. Do you know anything about that? And if you can, can you elaborate on that? Uh, I think what you're trying to describe is their, their social credit system. Yes, that's it right there. Yep, yep. So um, <clears throat> the social credit system is, maybe the easiest way to say it is, uh, you will have credits given to you or you will have credits taken from you depending on how your behavior fits certain acceptable patterns and acceptable norms uh, based on what the Chinese government uh, deems to be appropriate. And so let's say um, maybe, maybe you use too much toilet paper. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, and you're because everything, everything can be monitored based on the fact that your purchases are all basically digital. That's where things are going. That's that is where we're heading, uh, the, the digitization of everything. We're moving away from the analog to the digital. Um, you can now see, or the algorithm, It's uh, this is important to realize, it's not necessarily that there's a person behind it, but there'll be an algorithm. The algorithm will all of a sudden go, oh, oh, you're buying another package of toilet paper. Uh, that's the third package you bought this week. Um, that's 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 considered to be uh, abnormal and maybe harmful to the environment. We're going we're gonna to maybe dock you, you know, 10, 10, 10 credits or whatever it might be. I'm just throwing that out there. That's just, uh, you know, the, the kind of idea. Um, or where, it could, where could it go? The 2021 virtual uh, World Economic Forum conference talked quite a bit about how everything needs to become digitized. And so concepts were thrown around, including the idea of smart cities with smart cars. And so your car will be talking to sensors in the street. Uh, your car will be connected uh, via Wi-Fi or satellite technology or cell technology. And so maybe with an electric car, because you're not now burning fossil fuels per se, you, know, you can argue that one, uh, 
but you're not burning fossil fuels in the traditional sense. So how are you going to extract taxes for, let's say, uh, road development and road construction? Well, you're going to have, based on uh, the, the motion of your car, uh, if, if you drive X amount of miles or X amount of kilometers, um, you'll have travel taxes taken off automatically out of your credit score. You were driving too much. You're driving more than your, than your allocated amount. And so you'll have uh, a certain uh, tax or a fee or maybe a, a demerit of credits. And, and because everything is, is trackable and traceable um, with digitization, and especially when you incorporate um, um, the, the blockchain side of it, all of a sudden there is that possibility that you can now manage entire populations, not relatively easy, but certainly it's certainly doable, very doable, uh, as cities now become smart and integrated, and that includes your travel and your ability to, to be mobile. Those are the things that are discussed. That's the kind of stuff that comes up in the talking points with, with the World Economic Forum. Now, could this type of digitized system, I guess it would be going without saying, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyways, is it possible that this digitized system could be used as a mark of the beast since the World Economic oh. Forum is leaning, as you described, to basically, you can't trade without this. You can't make international agreements with it. And I, I'm trying to run my own business here, selling, you know, making custom-made t-shirts and stuff and becoming an HVAC technician. But if I can't get the parts I need and stuff because of trade, so would you agree that that would be something like the mark of the beast would be more far more more um, able to take place? Yeah, it, it certainly it certainly allows us to move in that direction. Whether the WEF can actually pull something like that off or not, I, I personally believe the mark of the beast will have uh, a, a very profound spiritual component to it. Okay. Uh, Nevertheless, the technological side sure seems to be moving forward and, and moving very quickly. Um, and there's some real, real interesting developments along the, along the path of, of digitizing uh, civilization. I mean, we are moving into a digitized, uh, a digitized era. Uh, it, it can certainly be argued that we're there to some, to some extent already. Could we could we see this morph into a mark of the beast styled system? I think the potential think so. is absolutely there. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it, the way it, it, if anything, if anything, Nick, it, it at least sets up the uh, it sets up the the attitude or the the tone that allows that to uh, to happen. That's what I was going to say. I think it's the same thing because when you, when you're discussing it. And talking about how the privatized uh, private private and the public sector merging together and um end in 10 minutes okay that's weird we'll have to make a secondary reading on this one um so when it's merging of the two what i'm seeing is it also leaves room especially with burning man being what it is as you were describing that new spiritual movements psychedelics as we've had podcasts together talking about that i'm looking going it is totally feasible I, I, at least in my point of view that this would lead directly to there now i know people have talked about all sorts of stuff about technology like okay you know the credit card be the market the beast or this or this but i also understand like you're pointing out carl that it could lead that but i can also see where uh like facebook mark zuckerberg wants to create the metaverse right where it's going to be this huge system where you put on the glasses or whatnot and i think it was bill gates was maybe talking about or was it elon musk talking about creating like a tony stark type of hologram so something of that nature um i'm trying to think of something hey bob do you have any questions or anything else you might want to throw out there for a question wise yeah i i'll probably set the tone of uh what i heard uh, in the 1990s with the United Nations was actually talking about a social credit score on uh, uh, an evaluation of people uh, uh, and they would get some type of rating. Let's say that you're disabled, you get one rating if you were a productive 
in the system, you would get another rating. And I, I'd heard about this on the radio, uh, and it was kind of bothersome. Uh, I have been in contact with the United Nations a few times, uh, you know, talking to them about uh, treaties and what what makes a treaty, right? Uh, we sign a lot of treaties with the United Nations, and people really don't know that. And I talked to them about what stops them, which I already knew the answer, from having binding treaties with the United Nations. And they said the 10th Amendment of our Constitution has to be uh, gotten rid of or null, made null and void. And uh, so, you know, as time goes on, our technology gets better and better. And like the Chinese uh, system that you were talking about, uh, you know, since now we have China, you know, that is involved with this World Economic Forum, we know that uh, there has to be connections between the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, right into, like Carl said, was Burning Man. And so this is becoming uh, a lot greater issue. And so I was going to ask if Carl remembers, I just saw this, uh, oh, I guess about two there was a man they were interviewing at the World Economic Forum that was talking about uh, software or an app or something that would trace our carbon. Uh -oh. He said it's under development at this time. It had not completed yet. Do you remember that, Carl? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not sure where that's exactly going at this point, but... Again, that Bob, that speaks to the whole issue of let's digitize. We will digitize to save Mother Earth. We're going to digitize uh, to, to ensure that we're compliant with carbon and, and climate change uh, policies. Um, it's about it. it's about changing behaviors. It's about changing changing your your personal lifestyle to fit with with, with a global agenda. You know, in my country, Canada, we pay carbon taxes at the fuel pump. Uh, which is ridiculous because we're paying such a, a high amount uh, per liter per gallon. I would be over the $8 mark. That's for sure. Um, and it drives me nuts because in, in many respects, I know the, the spirituality behind the politics and I don't have a choice, but I'm giving my tithes and offerings to mother earth when I'm gassing up at the fuel pump and being forced to pay a, a carbon tax, but it fits, Bob, with what you're talking about, because hey, if we can if we can track and monitor our behavior um, through apps, uh, then the uh, you know then then uh, all of a sudden our activities we can become, well, they can become monetized, and we can become managed, and well, we can become digitized. Why? Out of curiosity, why are they using the environment? Because I know that. <clears throat> the environment, I know, understand climate change. I get that there's always about, when I was back in high school, back in the day, it was global warming, and then they switched it to climate change. Now they're going, the planet's heating up. Oh my gosh, all this and that. And the more I research into it, the more I find, me personally, I find that climate change is more of a fraud because it happens over periodic amounts of history. But why is, now why are they using climate change as almost like a, um, as their a big control hmm? a control mechanism, uh, you know, to have this, we got to save the earth. And so every citizen on the face of the earth has to be part of this. And so it comes to that collectivism. And is that kind of where you see it, Carl? Yeah, to, to, to a point, definitely. Um, climate is a, a common a common factor it's, it's considered to be part of what's within the united nations it's called the global commons and and the climate is part of the global commons it's something we all regardless of where you live on the planet you are all uh connected to the climate we're you know all of us breathe air and all of us live underneath the the the, the you know the the within the umbrella of of uh, of our of our of our climate uh uh we've we weather issues so on and you know so i mean it, it's it's something that is now common it's it's uh doesn't matter which country you're part of you can have a connection to to this agenda um 
climate change, the concept has been kicking around. I mean, back in 1992, when the climate convention first came out at the Rio Earth Summit, uh, uh, it, it was the United Nations, the first Earth, first Earth Conference, or, or the I'm trying to think of how how it was really described. Uh, it was it was yeah it was it was the the UN uh, summit on uh, on on uh, on the environment. Um, that's where that's where climate change really became a, an international talking point. Is when the Convention on Climate Change. Uh, was was ratified and brought out at the UN um, uh, Rio Earth Summit, and from there it's it's been a a lightning rod of sorts um, because it's big dollars. You can make a lot of money, especially with carbon credits, and uh, it has created an industry in its own right. Um, so it's it's been around the, the climate issue has been around for at least a solid 30 years i've had the opportunity of of talking to climatologists not meteorologists but climatologists there's a difference uh, who don't agree in the with with the climate narrative uh then i've also been around some climatologists including at the interestingly um at the parliament of the world religions in 2015 they had an entire an entire track just on climate change. And so Catherine Hayhoe, who is a evangelical um, and climate science uh, climatologist was there promoting and pumping climate change. <laughs> what was interesting at the 2015 Parliament of the World Religions was that Brian McLaren was pumping and, and pushing climate change. In fact, he was one of the keynote speakers for the climate pl uh, plenary sessions. So, I mean, it's it's big business. I was gonna say it sounds like big money. Really fast, we got about a minute and twenty seconds. So I'm gonna stop the recording, start it over, just so we can continue on. But yeah, no, it sounds like that because when I I was listening to, <clears throat> I think it was George Penta or something like that. He's a real he's his business guy on TikTok, and he was taught. And if you ever watch him, just gotta be careful because he has he has the loose lips and flies off whatever he wants to say. But he was talking about how uh, someone came forward and said, well, what about climate change? What is really going to happen here? And how, how do you, what do you think about that? Um, I'm going to stop this really fast. So I'll jump back on. One sec. So uh, really fast, we had our, the internet, the Zoom kind of kicked us off, folks. So we had to basically restart a new Zoom <laughs> But going back to this, uh, to the topic here, um, I was watching this, uh, Carl, I was watching this uh, guy, uh, Pinta, I believe his last name is, I'm terrible with names, but he was talking about climate change and he was, and they had, he basically was having this meeting and a bunch of youngsters came into, I call them youngsters, fun time, um, came into this room and they were having this conference and got on the micro and they were asking him questions. He goes, well, what do you say about climate change? And whatnot? And he goes, it's the biggest bleeping, um scam in the world and he goes put it this way they said for and he brought back and I, in the 70s they said that the, the water was going to rise 10 feet and that everything would be underwater florida would be under would mostly be uninhabitable um most of the united states would be uninhabitable about 10 to 100 feet and he goes the reason he calls it out as the biggest hoax that there is i'm using nice language here though he uses other is because you have these investment firms, these banks, they're giving off mortgages to buy multi-billions of dollars of properties across the Florida coastline. I went there last year and I saw some of them. Um, I went to go see family and go to Disney World. It was drop-dead beautiful out there. Absolutely fantastic. But if climate change was real and all that's going to be under in 10 years, he said, you're losing billions and billions and billions, trillions of dollars in investments. No one in their right mind would dare do it. That's why he goes, this whole thing about climate change as a practical thing, as, as in the oceans are going to rise, is all a scam. Otherwise, no one would dare do it. But one of the things he brought up as well, he said, is Obama and many other of these politicians like Al Gore um, and whatnot have bought properties in a place called Martha's Vineyard. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that place here. It's basically rich politicians, really high up in society, top, you know, the high class and people. Martha's Vineyard is only about 15 feet above sea level at the most. 
if it's true climate change is going to happen, all their multi-billion dollar properties get washed away. And so he made a really good point about that. So when you're discussing about how it's more about systematic control, it makes far more sense when you put it in that perspective. It's, um, uh, it, it's interesting how these types of agendas uh, come to fruition, how they kind of work. It, it stems first out of the academic community, out of special interest groups. Uh, I'm going to read a little section out of my book, Game of Gods, for you, uh, because I outline it. I outline it this way. The dance goes something like this. Intellectual visionaries armed with predictive models make new claims requiring or demanding public attention, along with funding and policy changes. A lobbying campaign kicks into motion. At the United Nations, action groups and academia give counsel and solidify the narrative at the global level. National governments responding to these new pressures invite stakeholders and experts to assist in formulating public policy. Politicians showboat on cut-and-paste proclamations and social management solutions. Budget lines are added and grants doled out. Economic incentives create allegiances to the political scientific consensus. Industries and corporations and trade associations line up with products and proposals. Financial institutions monetize contracts, coordinate monetary flow and create markets. Multilateral banking groups channel international commitments. The model has become much too big to fail. Therefore, scientific counterclaims and criticisms are downplayed while the invested narrative is continually reinforced. Globetrotting celebrities, Leo DiCaprio or Al Gore or Bill Gates or Bono, pompously parade the cause. Trust the experts, as shouted from the red carpet to the podium and back to the safety of private jets and yachts. Meanwhile, new winners and losers in the marketplace are determined by edict and bureaucratic compulsion. Regulations and restrictions and taxes are foisted on the public. Tr trust fades to contempt. By inserting Al Gore and DiCaprio, superstar eco-grifters, I have tipped my hand to the fact that I'm describing the climate change narrative. That literally describes it perfectly. Because that's, I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. Because I remember, and this is totally different on different one, but it, it goes into like when I was questioning COVID back in the day, I was like <clears throat> asking all these things and immediately was, um, you're just a COVID science denier. And I'm like, no, science isn't about that. But I remember because I have a brother who's a very strong believer in climate change. We've had these discussions before. And I brought up to him about how none of this really makes a lot of sense. And we need to critically think through this. And he said, well, are you one of those far right wing conspiracy anti-climate change deniers? I'm like, well, let's not add titles to something. Let's ask some serious questions. But the more I study it, the more I agree with you, Carl, that it is it's, it's almost like a 2008 with the housing market and the big banks. And when all of that came crashing down and the feds had to bail out, <clears throat> excuse me, the big banks because they were as, you know, quote, too big to fail. So it, mm -hmm. I could see this taking place. Bob, I know you put some notes on, you, you told me about that. Um, what do you want to add to this? Well, <clears throat> you know, uh, the Great Reset, Davos, uh, you know, all this is not an independent in a vacuum without relating to uh, other governments in the United Nations. And uh, I know here in uh, the United States, we have the Democratic and Republican Party. And, uh, you know, it's like kind of more of a uniparty, uh, really. And so I look at it this way. We got two types of politicians here. We have the globalist and we have uh, the constitutional nationalist or constitutional republic nationalist. And nationalism, uh, uh, nationalism has been given a bad name. And I, I believe that's on purpose. And the issue, you just brought up a word that uh, really upsets me. And that is the, the idea of uh, name calling uh, people like us conspiracy theorists. 
Carl does research, I do research, you do research, and we come up uh, with uh, you know uh, a scenario, and we're conspiracy theorists. Well, I spent uh, back in the the uh, let's see, it was the '90s when we had to pay for our phone calls. I was spending uh, about six hundred dollars a month uh, making phone calls and, and collecting um, uh, documents. I was uh, reading a, a crime bill for a, a, a congressman and reading telecommunication bills and getting stuff for the United Nations. And they say it and we put it together and then we're conspiracy theorists. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that uh, if we have an audience there that are going to be listening to that and say, hey, that's just a conspiracy theorist. What I'm saying is this, when they do some research, check into it, just don't call names and then uh, say, give it, that's the day we're going to go on. And so uh, I was going to ask also, Carl, on the issue of, uh, uh, I was going to bring up China. And of course, you answered that question. What about Russia? Do we have- That's a good one. Yeah, Russia. Russia included in this? Yes, they have been. Uh, historically, they have been. Uh, Putin has been a, a participant with the World Economic Forum. Keep keep in mind, however, that just because you participate doesn't mean that you're all going to end up being on the same page. Uh, there there is competition within the international community. I've seen that personally. Um, but yes, Putin has certainly been a part of of the World Economic Forum programs. Um, uh, let, let me back up a little bit because the issue of of competition within the within the international community is is worthy of of, of note, um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of Nick a little bit of my background just to kind of set the, the stage uh, regarding researching and, and working through what happens at the United Nations. I typically in, in my field of research I look at religious changes. That includes attending events like the Parliament of World Religions, uh, going to Wiccan and witchcraft events, uh, going to where interfaith events are taking place, uh, then transformational culture. And Bob and I go to Burning Man, and that's a big part of, of, of the work we do that way on the, uh, on the transformational side. Um, but especially... In my earlier uh, the, the my earlier time period in, in terms of my research work, I spent a lot of my time, and I mean a lot, focused on global governance and international political issues. With that in mind, I used to attend meetings of the world, um, the World Federalist Association, which is the largest pro-world government lobby group in the U.S. I've attended the International Congress of the World Federalist Movement, the largest pro-world government lobby group in the world. Um, I've attended United Nations meetings, not as press. I've gone in as, a, as an accredited member or an accredited expert. I was at the United Nations Millennium Forum. I, I was, uh, and I write about that in my book, Game of Gods. I got in partly because at that point I was under the umbrella of the world Federalist uh, Association. Um, back in 2006, I attended the United Nations uh, World Urban Forum. Um, I, I can't remember how many events like this I've attended, uh, scads of them. The Global Governance, uh, FIM Global Governance Conference in Montreal, uh, the list is long. And then when it comes to things like the World Economic Forum, uh, I've, I've I spent the last two major virtual events monitoring literally every minute of those events that I possibly could. Um, and so in the past, I've had held memberships of the Academic Council in the United Nations. Uh, for a short time, I ha had membership with the Chicago Council on Foreign Relations. I'm saying all this because I can actually legitimately, I can legitimately speak to these issues as somebody who has invested the time, the resources, the sweat and the tears to be able to do it. Right. So it's not conspiracy. I it's, think... just, it's just a business, but I mean, everybody speaks of these things like conspiracy and then they, 
you know, they throw that on top of us without recognizing that what we're talking about really is, is a level of business, a level of interaction that for the most part, the average person just doesn't connect into, even though it informs his world, we don't connect into it because, well, frankly, I mean, have you attended a United Nations meeting? Probably not. Most people haven't. I've, I've taken the time specifically to do those things so that I could have a voice in the conversation. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've had I've had times where I've had people talking about the conspiracy ideas and whatnot. And I said, here's the difference between, I think, and this is something I could definitely put out for conspiracy ideas. The difference between conspiracy versus what we're discussing is, let's say Area 51. Let's start out there, Dreamland. I can go out there and I can I could say, you know what? Bob Lazar said that there are UFOs and aliens out in Area 51. And these aliens come from a place called Zetalar Reticuli. He has a gravity engine and it pushes your hand back. I got nothing to prove for it. I could show you that there's strange aircraft flying around an Air Force base. It's probably military testing. They're probably trying out some sort of new aircraft we don't know about. But my story cannot be collaborated, <clears throat> cannot be proven. There's not evidence for it. However, if we're talking about what we're discussing now, not only is it like I could turn on YouTube, watch the World Economic Forum, and listen to Charles Schwab's talking about this. I can listen to uh, dictator um, Ip, or no, not Ip, um, Xi, Xi Jinping. I call him dictator because what he does. I can listen to him, what he's saying. This is not conspiracy theory. This is actually more or less of, I wouldn't say you can call it a conspiracy. This is more reality. And the only question you have to ask is, it's outside of our normal normality. It's outside of our comfort zone. And that is really it. Mm -hmm. But once you get outside of the comfort zone, outside of the matrix, you start and you start diving into this a little bit, even if it means getting your toes wet, getting a little bit further, you'll start realizing, you'll start realizing it's okay to, to believe this stuff. But I think it's more of a smoke and mirrors. And what I'm looking at is with the UN performing these things, would you be surprised, Carl, if the Antichrist were to arise and use this type of world, this um, World Economic Forum to take over? Do, do you think that might be the framework? Well, you know, let me put it this way. We, we think of end times issues as events. We think of them as events. Right. And, and yes, global government or world government is an event that we look at in terms of, of eschatology, these end time events. I think we've done ourselves a disservice by looking at them as events. Instead, we need to look at them as processes. And the process has been in play since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. The process kicked in a high gear collectively at the Tower of Babel. And we are seeing these processes unfold continually to the point where we will at some point see it play out as a final event. That actually makes total sense when you put it in that perspective, because you're right. A lot of people like would look at Kirk Cameron and go, oh, yeah, the Left Behind series. But you're right. It's a progress. And it's just basically saying this is going to be the end result of it. But you can watch the progress of it getting to this point. And that's right. that's very well said. You know, I'd, I'd like to give some input here because this Go kind of touches, touches on uh, how I've been viewing scripture. Uh, back in the uh, late 70s, when I became a Christian, everybody was talking about uh, uh, the mark of the beast, and they were talking about the bubble memory and, and uh, how, you know, we're right on top of it. And uh, I knew that uh, we did not have a network worldwide at the time to to incorporate this. We did not have the type of memory and computer system and speed that it would take to do something like this. So I kind of went uh, across the grain on this with a lot of criticism. And so I, I've always held back from even discussing uh, the mark of the beast because I felt that uh, the technology wasn't here. But let, let me read, uh, Revelation uh, 13, 16 through 18, and, and I'd like to make some comments on it. And in Revelation 13, 16, 
speaking of the mark of the beast, and he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell, buy or sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, right? That's what we should be doing. Um, let him who has understanding calculate uh, the number of the beast and the number of uh, that of the man, and the number is 666. And this number was one that was uh, a mark for ownership. And uh, what I'd like to say is it's talking about buying and sell selling. Right. So if we can't buy or sell from a store, right, there would have to be a network that would link right in to everywhere, right? Exactly. Uh, Leon Musk, or Elon Musk, um, he's putting up 40,000 satellites, right? I'm, I'm on his satellite system right now. It's fantastic. It's very uh, affordable. And he has plans to make it like about a, what would be a, a $200 box, right? That he could put in a hut in Africa, right? And he wants this, his dream is to give it to everybody on the earth, right? And so uh, he's doing a good job going there. And so, you know, I don't know if we're there for the mark of the beast yet. But as Christians, we should be looking at scripture and not saying, here's the event and it's happening right now. But what does it take to get to that event? Right. Good right? Point. Very good. And point. that's what, what's like Carl's research is documented, right? Um, he has a, a site forcing change. You could, uh, mm -hmm. you know, actually um, uh, Google and get on. Uh, I, I look at, uh, you know, I mean, I know Carl, I know his research, and just to show the people here, <laughs> his, his book, Game of Gods. I got I, that on digital. Uh, okay, so anyway, <laughs> I would recommend this book for people to primer them to get some understanding and, and so forth. So we look at the Bible, we shouldn't be forcing square pegs and round holes right right exactly there for us to have wisdom and understanding and so uh as i was you know like the carl in this world economic forum i think that uh, the government part of this would probably be the un would be my, my guess right but uh that these link together these countries link together and just like uh the nazi germany there were politics throughout Europe and so forth and who went with them and who didn't and so forth. And then after uh, Nazi Germany fell, we have the European Union coming up, right? And the first president that of the European uh, Union was happened to be a Nazi during Nazi Germany. And so I think what Carl's saying is it started at the fall of man and there's something within our, our our being that that if we're not a christian right that pushes towards this end goal and so forth and we think that we want this peace but we don't even know how to decide design or to um to tell you what peace is to define right and and what costs i claim that more people will die in the name of peace, right, is my view, than there will be in all the wars. And so, exactly. yeah, so what Carl's saying, uh, you know what, I know him, I can give a reference that he's a boots on the ground guy, his book, right, and, and, and start to think of the Bible, as Carl says, as a process, even in our life, it's a process with Christ. So I'll give it back to you. I'm, on my tyrant, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I think you make a really good point about that. And that, to add a little extra on to for illustrate your point, it's no different than in the Bible when it talks about how we are being sanctified in Christ. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. So instead of 
just instead of like the justification, right? When you're immediately when you're saved, you're justified according to the blood of Christ. Um, what happened on the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then throughout your life, you're receiving the process of becoming more like Christ through the Holy Spirit correcting you, rebuking you, and whatnot, transforming you from the inside outwards. And there's sanctification. So I agree 100% where you guys are talking about. I think it's a very good point here. Um, because I think a lot of people look at this and go, oh my gosh, the Antichrist comes tomorrow. It's like, well, he can pop up anytime. That's not the point. The point is that we are in the process of getting there. He's kind of, it's kind of like when you go to Hawaii and you're going on the road to Hana. It's like the town Hana on Maui is just a little town, something really special, but it's the process to get to that town that is what you really want to focus on, really kind of the, the whole system. So what I'm looking at here is basically it's a system of absolute control. It's been started pretty much from the ni- 1970s, if not earlier or, or a little bit later, right around there, 1970s. And that they're using things like climate change in order to basically control the populace and to drive finances in. And I think this would also speak, and not to dive too far into politics on it, but like what we call in America woke culture or woke, um, yeah, that in like business, like what Walt Disney Company is doing, what Nike is doing, what a lot of different companies are doing. Um, I'd actually, this would be a good question to actually ask, Carl. Do you think the woke culture in America promoting the LGBTQ, whatever, community and these policies, the reason that they're acting the way they are isn't because they're trying to be virtuous. Um, They're trying to, in essence, since the banks and investment firms, major investment firms are into this. And as you pointed out earlier about um, them being part of this narrative, do you think these big companies like the Walt Disney Company and others are only doing it to appease this World Economic Forum narrative? Um, They're doing it certainly to to appease, but I think more than that, they have adopted the narrative themselves. Okay, so so it is part of them. It's not just something that they're trying to appease to to make it so they can get extra money in order to build a theme park or to build their business up to take out a loan it's actually something that's kind of more woven into them it, well yeah you know we've we, we're seeing our our culture um enmeshed with that with that type of thinking uh i look at my country canada as probably the most woke country on the planet uh with 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 our prime minister and and, and uh, his his uh, his cabinet, uh, constantly virtue signaling, woke value systems, and and when you're looking at at just how intense this woke narrative is, you realize very quickly that it's pushing you, even though you may be part of a majority who doesn't align with that woke system, the very fact that it's constantly hammered on you and hammered and hammered pushes you further and further and further to the fringes. Uh, and, and then companies, schools, government policies, in my country, lots of government policies uh, align themselves to continue this, this woke narrative. And all of a sudden it becomes a juggernaut it's bigger than than any one person. It's certainly bigger than uh, any what any church group can do, or what any uh, uh, conservative organization can do in terms of fighting back. Because, let me put it this way: it's the virus. It's an ideological virus. Um, I heard it put like that when I attended the year two. Or, pardon me. I when I attended the the uh, Global Citizenship 2000 Youth Congress back in 1997. It was all gearing up for the year 2000. And what we were discussing back then was the concept of world citizenship and the new value system. And it was described to us by, by one of the participants. He, he, and he talked about it as, this is a virus. Inoculate everyone. Uh, we, all are, uh, uh, we all need to be, you know, to be in, infected with this new virus, this new way of thinking. And so, you know, I mean, COVID was the virus, but the real virus was what was happening up here in our heads 
Yeah, as our, actually, yeah. I, as I as our that. value systems change. Exactly. I came across that a lot. In fact, I still have family. Like, we went to go see the movie Top Gun. And one of the things I said, well, you know, I mean, apart from being an awesome movie, they're still wearing masks. They've been triple vaxxed, all these different things. And I finally turned them and go, look, why are you wearing a mask in a the theater? They're like, well, what if I get someone sick? And I go, look, the mask doesn't do it. And I said, look, I'm not trying to be this weird person, but I'm saying the whole point is you're not going to get someone sick. You don't have it. You never had it. You're vaccinated. You're triple vaxxed. I said, the problem is it's psychological. You have now accepted it's like the kid wearing the helmet in classroom. He's not going to bang his head on anything. He's perfectly fine, but it makes him feel safe. Um, I guess the, one, the other question that popped up, I want to ask really fast before it skips my brain. A lot of this woke culture, a lot of this wokeness that has been coming out of the World Economic Forum and the, and the United Nations, what we've been describing, has been very much against, say, like, uh, as Bob was saying, um, conservatism, national pride, and whatnot. Is individual liberty, as in the American Constitution and even um, conservatives in Canada want, is individual liberty the thing? One of the things they're trying to destroy in the areas of collective, in the name of collectivism. Oh, no question. I, I've watched it firsthand. Uh, uh, individualism, individualism, sure. nationalism, um, the free market system—all of these are considered to be old antiquated outdated what we need is is centralization collectivism grander visions uh we all have to be we all have to play our part we're all supposed to be global citizens um the idea of rugged individualism is anathema absolutely anathema we we don't unless 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 you as an individual are working for social justice and are now going to war to to enhance the narrative of whatever whatever the the latest trend is climate change or uh, transgenderism you know, or transgender or whatever whatever it is whatever the latest flavor is the flavor of the month if if you're pursuing that as an as an individual uh, that's acceptable if you're if you're pursuing individual autonomy national sovereignty uh, the value of private property no well, so one, one thing, i was going to say one one thing i'd point out here uh is that uh you know i i've retired so i've been free from uh you know my uh, worldly master as far as my employment but everything that came down the pike came through classes that we had to take new laws about offending people about uh you know uh pronouns are starting to come in you know and and so we can be told that we have to say this guy is a girl right or we can actually in the state of california you or in new york you could be uh new york's a big time prosecution on that by uh not calling a certain person the opposite of what they really are in fact uh they're pulling um um title nine prosecution on, on uh, a father i don't know oh, really the, fast bob so our audience knows what is title oh, okay. nine? uh it's a civil rights uh it, you know uh like if i call my daughter uh that wants to be called a guy and i still say my daughter's name is lisa let's say right and uh you can actually be prosecuted under uh civil rights violation with your with your kid right so there isn't this you know like you know i've i've always i put up uh, videos where they say no these kids are ours in the public schools i saw that you know? yeah and then there was one that says that, you know takes it takes a village to raise a kid and uh and so the the government wants that control and so uh so getting back to what you were asking is that yeah I, these people totally believe it and and they'll burn down uh, a city to mm -hmm. prove what they believe right and uh they will go after you and and get you fired from your job at all possible and so forth for this and so what i'm kind of baby pointing out here is this 
is that when we become a new creation in Christ, uh, we, uh, we are sanctified like you were talking about. But on the opposite, before I was a Christian, right, I seemed to always be sp uh, spiraling down to uh, the worst common denominator. So when I was a non-Christian, uh, April 22nd, 1970 was the first Earth Day. Just looked it up. And I remember saying, this is not a good deal. And I was a non-believer at the time. Mm -hmm. And we have, from 1970 to now, an Earth Day. Give me a break. It's uh, been 52 years, right? And look what it's growing to. Earth Day, the planet, the philosophical belief that the planet is living, right? I remember telling my son that, that there's people who believe in a spiritual evolution of people. And he's like, ah, dad, you know, here you go again. And his first semester in college, they started talking about a spiritual um, evolution mm -hmm. of people. And so I believe that we are in two camps right now, uh, which the Christian being sanctified and the worldview. And that is what Carl's talking about from the fall to now. No, I agree right. with you. So I'm going to make one last comment on this. We have five minutes left on this recording before okay. we have to cut it off. So I'll, I'll leave my last little comments here and then we'll go ahead and finish off with our thoughts with closing comments. Um, I think a lot, and maybe you guys can both agree with me on this. <clears throat> there's a book that I read growing up. And then on top of that, I read recently as well. My wife and I started reading it is George Orwell, 1948, 1984, sorry, 1984, got that a little backwards. But everything that is in there, along with your book, Carl, The Game of the Gods, all connects together. It's all, it's not separate, but I mean, they're separate authors, they're separate uh, titles, but they're all interconnected with each other. And I think that's what's going on here. So on that note, with a little under five minutes left, uh, Bob, do you want to leave some final comments? And then we'll turn it over to Carl to finish this off, and then I'll just go ahead and end it after that. Yeah, you got a, a great asset called YouTube that you can look up uh, people like uh, Thomas Sowell and uh, what he believed about uh, the book, uh, or Whaling book, 1984. Thomas Sowell does a lot of great stuff. He's a, not a Christian, uh, it seems, but... He really has a good, honest approach about things. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff on the Orwellian view on YouTube that I've been watching lately, and it's pretty scary. Uh, for me to uh, hand this over to Carl, I want to tell you that uh, you can come and join me on YouTube at uh, in Defense of Israel uh, 360 and on Facebook in Defense of Israel 360. And I'm dealing with a lot of more biblical type of subject matters about Israel, about the law, and so forth. And Carl, where can they contact you? Uh, they go to Forcing Change or where? You can go to forcingchange.org. And that is my uh, online archive of my Forcing Change magazine, which I edited from 2007 to 2015. If you want to read excerpts of my book, you can go to gameofgods.ca. You can also find me on social media, Facebook and Twitter. Wonderful. And if you guys want to continue on watching my uh, this podcast and watching other shows like that, I would encourage you to please go to Next Generation Saints. I'm on YouTube, TikTok, uh, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much all the social media platforms. And if you'd like to, go ahead and uh, go on there, like, subscribe, also leave an email on there so I can put you on email list, let you know when new episodes are coming out. Gentlemen, this is absolutely awesome. I don't think we could ever stop doing this. I think we need to make another episode like this. But I want to thank you both for coming on to the show today. Um, and thank you for tuning in today on for Next Generation Saints. So until next time, we all meet again. May God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.